Welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your guest host, Eric Ferris, and I'm joined by teaching pastor Clayton Keenan and community impact pastor Ben Chambers. Celebratory noises! (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thank you for being our guest today. Community impact pastor, what in the world does that mean? So basically what it means is I give oversight to our community impact initiatives and our outreach here at the St. Charles campus. So what that looks like is working with our partners and getting people from Christ community um, involved in the community, serving with these partners in uh, the various things that we're doing. Nice. Thank you for joining the podcast today. Uh, It is our tradition in the podcast to get to know our guests a little bit better. So our first question for you is, now I'm going to ask you a question that we asked our guest last episode. I'm going to ask the same question because it's a doozy and I think you can bring it. So here's the question. Would you rather have been around at the beginning of the world or be around for the end of the world? I would say I would like to be here from the beginning and not the end. Um, Based on uh, what we believe from a biblical perspective, what's going to happen at the end of the world, I don't think that's something that I would really want to necessarily be around to witness. I think I'd like to be here at the start. Ah, you don't want to go through the ride. Okay. (laughs) Not at all. All right. All right. Hey, what do you do for, we're going to have another question for you, just to get to know you a little bit better. What kind of traditions does your family have? Any at New Year's? We're kind of in the beginning of the year here, but New Year's Eve isn't too far in the rearview mirror. Right. So New Year's traditionally, um, as far back as I can remember, which probably means um, all 40 years of my life, I've been in church on New Year's Eve. Uh, The tradition that I come from, we do a New Year's Eve service called uh, Watch Night. And so it starts around 10, 1030. And it's basically a full on worship experience where you were just bringing the new year together, uh, either shouting in the new year or uh, praying in the new year. And uh, so, yeah, that's normally our New Year's tradition. Church on New Year's Eve. Yep. What do you think about that, Clayton? That is, that is not our tradition here. <laughs> no, so, it's not. So I don't know if, that, if that's something you'll miss or something that you'll you'll enjoy the time off. But I can watch online. Yeah, <laughs> I, I also when I when I came to faith as a teenager and started going to a Pentecostal church, that I was also in a lot of New Year's Eve services, yeah. and I had no idea what, to, what it was or what to do with it, right? Because yeah. I grew up Roman Catholic, so I was like, "What in the world would you do at church on New Year's right. Eve?" So. Yep, me too, Ben. Me too. No New Year's Eve services at Christ Community Church, however. Well, I am your guest host today because Nikki is out now for two consecutive episodes. So she used to be like the Iron Man of the podcast, never missing. And now she's missed two consecutive. So I'm the guest host. Clayton is the comma guy. So... Take it away, Clayton. All right. So let me let me start by giving some context. We're actually in a new book of the Bible. Uh, so in the Bible's heavy reading plan, we have just begun the book of Samuel. Uh, and, and the book of Samuel is two books, so it's first and second Samuel. But that's a little bit of kind of a, an illusion because it was written as one book. The reason it's two books is because it didn't fit on one scroll. So they kind of split it somewhat arbitrarily at, at one point. And uh, really, First and Second Samuel uh, should just—you could just call it Samuel, and that's okay. Um, and even the name Samuel, just as a bit of context, is a little bit misleading because uh, Samuel is a significant character, but only for like the first, you know, third of the first half of the book. So by the by, you know, a little bit after what we're going to read today, Samuel dies, so he's not around for most of it. It it probably would have been better to call it First and Second David because he's the big character. So when you think Samuel. Uh, think the story of David, because it's all kind of revolving around him. It's either a prelude to him becoming king, uh, or it's during his reign and that sort of thing. So when you think about context for for Samuel, be thinking about 
David, the king, and kind of how that all got started. So um, one thing, just um, as you're preparing to read this book or as you've begun to read this book, we always recommend watching the, uh, the Bible Project videos that kind of summarize the book. It'll give you a great overview of the themes, the structure of things, uh, kind of get your bearings on this. So it's not just a bunch of random stories here. Uh, but let me let me tell you where we're headed today. We are in First, Ch- First Samuel chapter 8, and thus far, there have been some great stories. So I'm not going to recap all of them, but it's mostly been uh, the life of Samuel, kind of how he was born and grew up, um, and then uh, a story about how uh, the Ark of the Covenant uh, was kind of lost in a battle and some crazy things that happened when the enemy captured it and how they got it back and all sorts of stuff. A lot of fun. Uh, but what we are basically getting here in these first kind of seven chapters is essentially the end of the judges period. So we recently read the book of Judges, which tells about this chaotic time. Things are not that great. There's a leadership vacuum. And so by the time we get to First Samuel chapter 8, the people have kind of finally realized something's got to change. We keep getting invaded by people. We don't have a kind of central leader, and they're kind of itching for something new. And so that kind of sets up where we're at here in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So Eric is going to read the chapter to us, and then we'll start talking about it. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to to the people who were asking him for a king. And he said, This is what a king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be his perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. And then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. All right. So the the O in comma stands for observations. And for those of you who might be new to the podcast or new to Bible Savvy, 
What we do with observations is we simply look at the passage and try to see what's there. Uh, You don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to kind of know what it all means, but we're paying attention. We're keeping our eyes open. And often what we're looking for are things that are repeated, things that tell us, uh, you know, a truth about God, things that are kind of strike us as interesting, that that raise a question for us. But we're we're, we're paying attention. We're kind of gathering the information uh, that will help us understand what the the passage is about. So let's go around and share some of the things that we observed in 1 Samuel 8. Uh, The first thing that stuck out to me, I believe it is repeated twice, maybe three times, is when they say, we want to be like all the other nations around us. Hmm which is in direct contrast to God establishing the nation of Israel and saying, you will be my people, I will be your God, and you're going to be a people set apart for my purposes. And so that that jumped out to me. Yeah, I think one of the things that that jumps out to me, especially coming off this study of the book of Judges, is how the cycle continues, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's still this cycle of disobedience. But what's interesting here is, now it's almost like in that continuation of the line of leadership, right? And so you see Samuel, who's that strong leader, but now you see his sons who are not all it's cracked up to be. And then the people are also fallen into the state of this perpetual civil disobedience, if you will, to what God is saying they should be. And you just kind of see it continue. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it, it feels like the, the judges thing is continuing, and you're, right. you're like, well, we got, we got to get, get some sort of solution for that. Right. Um, I I noticed in um, in verse seven when Samuel Samuel's uh, you know upset about them requesting a king, and and God says an interesting thing to them. They say, "It's not you they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king." Which a couple of things about that. One is the it's not you they've rejected. So it's clear that Samuel's got some personal sting to this. Like there there may be more than just sort of principle here. There may be some some ego thing. Like he 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 led them and now he's trying to get his sons to be leaders. Right. And you know, there, there's something there. But then there's like that deeper spiritual thing of well, God's diagnosing them, saying, Whatever whatever they're asking for, they're asking for a kind of a, a replacement for me, an alternative to me being their their king. And so that's that's kind of a, a curious uh, statement to me. Yeah, you know, we all, we often say in the podcast that good questions can be good observations. And so this does get a little bit confusing. So we've spent some time in the book of Judges where it's it constantly tells us in those days, Israel had no king. Everybody did as they saw fit. Everyone right. did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone was just making up as they go, right? And so Judges would would lead you to believe that their solution would have been to have a human king. And then you get into 1 Samuel, and they ask for one, which seems like the remedy to their problem, but it displeases Samuel. So it should be making you at least a little bit confused. Like, wait a minute, should they have a king? Should they not have a king? Is having a king a good thing or a bad thing? Because when you read Judges, it leads you to believe them having a king would have been a good thing. And then you read this chapter... And it sounds like having a king is a bad thing. Right. Yeah, I, I think you see that because, and again, I think it's this identity where they're looking around. And I think that when we study the word of God, like there's this component to get us to look in, but they're still looking at other nations. Like we want to be like them. Like we want somebody to reign and rule over us rather than looking at the system that God has set up is to govern them but it's based on our relationship with God and not a, a person in front of you, if you will. 
Yeah, you, you, that 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 repetition of like the other nations, like the other right. nations, feels feels like it, that might be the clue to solve it. Because the because yeah, you read Judges and you're like, that, well, they definitely need a king because it's not going well without one. And you even either you even remember earlier things. There's a few prophecies I remember when we were reading the Pentateuch about a king coming. And then there's like laws. <laughs> we did. I think we did a whole podcast episode about Deuteronomy 17, where it describes when you ask for a king, here's what the king should be like. So obviously, like back in the days of Moses, they were like anticipating that one day they would have a king. Right. So, so it feels like something about this is good. Um, but yeah, it, I think I think it's probably that, and we want to be like the people around us. Right. And and maybe even the things that they describe wanting to come from the king, like he'll go out and fight our battles for us. Like like if we had that king. He, we would, we would win, we would win in war. We would, we'd be safe. The other people would, you know, fear us and look up to like, there's a, there's a little implication of if we could just, the other people, it's so impressive. Like, look at, look at what Johnny has down the street. Like right. if we could have one of those, they would think that we were something like there's a, something about that going on. There is an interesting thing going on. If you have an NIV study Bible and in, ver, in verse 11, when Samuel says, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. Okay, mm-hmm. So he's saying, you're asking for a king. You think it's going to be awesome. It's not going to be awesome because here's what a king is going to do. And it goes through this list of all the different things that the king is going to do. And in your footnotes, or the, in the little cross-reference numbers that tell you to go look at other texts in the Bible, it sends you to Deuteronomy 17, which Clayton was just referring to, where it talks about what a good king will be like, what are the restrictions on a king and what a good king will do. And then if you, so if you read the list that Samuel is describing here in chapter eight, and then you compare that list to what is described in Deuteronomy 17, it becomes obvious. Israel's asking for a king, but what they need isn't a king. What they need is a good king. Hmm. Hmm. It's yeah. like the polar opposite <laughs> of what they think they're going to get. And he's telling them, that's not what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah, because if they, if they imitate the pattern of the people around them, they'll, they'll, get, they'll get someone like this. The kind of leadership the world automatically produces right. is it, it looks like it's going to offer you something, you know, promise of protection, promise of, you know, providing for you or whatever. Uh, but... It also takes in certain ways, and, and Samuel's describing it in a very particular way in his context, but there's there's something about unhealthy leadership that right. also demands something, um, even as it, you know, uh, it, it seems like it's going to do something for you, but it also takes and takes and takes. And, and I, I think about that, that Deuteronomy 17, like some of the things, when they talk about he's going to go out and fight our battles, I remember one of the things in Deuteronomy 17 is they can't have a lot of like horses and chariots. Because they're not supposed to be gearing up for war. It's not, they're not empire builders. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the people had to defend themselves, but it wasn't like, this was not like the Pharaoh going out and conquering everybody or whatever. Right. Like the, the, it, it's the opposite of what they're describing. The kind of king that, that Deuteronomy 17 has. What else do you guys see? What, what other observations are here? I see like this, this level of like in, in that, that contrast of what what's happening in Deuteronomy 17 to here, I see like this willingness to almost like sacrifice the future of the nation. And so hmm. like he's saying like, hey, we're he's going to take your daughters and he's going to do this. He's going to take your sons and he's going to do this. Almost putting them on the front line, like in front of himself. And so it, it just shows you like that desire to be like others, 
it's kind of like getting in the way of what could be the future of, of the nation. Yeah, there's there, there's definitely a short-sightedness to this. This might solve the immediate problem if we had someone like this, but in the long run, right? This this is what's going to happen to the the next generation. In verse, oh boy, I should know this before I open my mouth on a podcast. <laughs> verse verse four. All the elders gathered together and came to Samuel, and they said to him, "You're old, and your sons don't follow your ways. So appoint a king to lead us." All right, such as other nations have. When I read that, it sounds like what they're saying is, Samuel, you're a pretty good guy. You're a pretty decent leader. But your sons, who are going to follow you, aren't following in your footsteps. So we, it sounds like what they're asking for is good leadership. So give us a king. And Samuel's answer, it, here's what's interesting to me. I'm trying to, my brain is spinning right now. Samuel's answer is almost like, though there are no good kings. Hmm. Yeah, like categorically, you can't have one of these because there isn't one. Yeah, like it, that just seems yeah. odd to me. Like it's impossible right. to have a good king. Is it impossible to have a good king? Yeah, there, there's, there's something there's something bitter almost about Samuel's response. Like you, you can feel that kind of personal edge. I, I, keep, I keep thinking about the fact that they're rejecting his sons. Um, that make, makes me think about that. But there's something. That's got to hurt. It's got to hurt. It's got to hurt. You think about raising your sons and to have at least, especially in that time, like some desire to do what you do Mm -hmm. and to have it like not pan out that way. And then asking yourself like, where else has this happened in scripture? Right. So when you think back to how Samuel gets on the scene and, and how he gets to that place. And so I think somewhere ingrained in his mind is if I'm going to have sons, I've got to raise them to do what I do to carry on almost this family legacy and to have that rejection, like God says, hey, you know, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, but it's still got to hurt. Yeah. Yeah, that, it, it, there's clearly a personal sting to, to what Samuel is going through. All right, let's, let's, let's move on to the, the first M in comma, which is message. Let's, let's grab on to something we've observed and try to sum up uh, a message from this. So I would say, I think reading through it, like the bigger picture, if you will, like... God knows best, hmm. All right? And I think about timing, and I think about there are things in our own personal lives that that we can desire, um, but it could not necessarily be God's timing. Like we stated earlier, like God's got this idea somewhere in the timeline, and we know, right, Israel's going to get a king. But I can't jump the line, right? And so it's understanding that in the grand scheme of things, God knows best. My message is be careful what you wish for. It, yeah. It's pretty close to Ben's message. God knows best, but my perspective is not perfect. I know, I think I know what I need. I'm not sure I'm always positive where my needs stop and my wants begin. I know my perspective is limited. And so just have to remind myself, be careful, be careful what you wish for, because the thing that you think is going to solve your problem may not be what solves your problem. Right. Yeah. That's right. So I actually came up with two messages, and I can't pick between them. So I'm going to share them both. So you're the comma guy. Nikki's not here, so we'll just pretend one of them's hers. Um, whichever one sounds more brilliant, it, it's it's Nikki's. So um, the the first one is this: when we use the world's solutions, we get the world's problems. So I think about they're saying we want a king like all the nations because it looks like it's working really well for them, and then Samuel reminds them. But this is also what it's like to be in those countries. 
this is this is what this is the cost that it takes. And so I think about all the different ways that that we are tempted to look around and say, I think that's going well for them. And whether that's like, you know, how we go about our our love life or our finances or work or whatever, and you say, well, you know what, they seem to know what they're doing. And then you end up with all of the same problems that that, that the world generates with that. So that's that's one. The other one is um, we need a king unlike all the other nations. Like the, the opposite effect. Like we don't need a king like the other nations. We need a king unlike the other nations. And, and I think of that both in terms of the kinds of leaders we should want to, to have and aspire to be and then the ultimate king that we're talking about. So the, we, we need a king unlike the other nations. All right, so let's go on to the M in common that stands for meditation. And so I'm going to grab uh, one of my messages here as kind of a prompt for, for a question here for, for prayer and reflection. Um, that doesn't mean that when we get to application, you couldn't grab onto a different message. Uh, but here, here's the question we're going to ask. How are you looking at your problems just like the world does? Or you could flip it the positive way. How are you looking for solutions just like the, the world does. Where are situations in your life where you're looking at it the same way the world does? Pray, ask God that question, 45 seconds. So we're back for A in comma, which is application. This is where we take the things that we've, we've looked at, take the, the messages that we've got, the ways we've prayed and pondered, and then say, all right, so what? What does this mean for our lives? What do we do? How do we respond to this? So let's hear how are you guys going to apply this passage today. You know, I think it's, it's dangerous to get to a place like when you look at verse 19, and for me reading it, I think that could be like the scariest verse in the entire chapter. And it's really that that one word, that nevertheless, because it shows that after being presented with all the evidence, they still decided to do things their own way. And for me, I think it's it's one of those things like when you're asking God for something and God gives clear directions, like, you know, clarity is is a privilege, right? But when God gives clarity, and says this is this is what's going to happen and you still decide to go ahead with what you originally wanted and you're you're unchanged by what the outcome is going to be that's a scary place to be um and i think about you know continuing on in that like when god presents evidence like that we've got to we've got to turn like you've got to do that 180 You've got to repent and you've got to put yourself in a position where, okay, God, you know best. And I'm going to do um, what you want me to do and what you've called me to do. Uh, my application is to evaluate my prayer life or pay attention to my prayer life. How much of my prayer 
is telling God what he should do mm. or asking God to do stuff instead of God, help me to see things the way you see things. I'm pretty sure if I started really looking at my prayer life, I'm doing an awful lot of, sig- maybe I'm not telling God what to do, but I certainly am suggesting what he might want to do right. instead of flipping it and saying, well, God, what, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to see things? How do you want me to feel about this? So it's, it's pulling the old switcheroo on my prayer life. So I'm, I'm thinking, I, I had the, the two messages, one about the kind of leaders that we, we need uh, and the one about kind of looking at our looking for the solutions that the world offers, and I kind of kind of combine that. I I I read a lot of leadership books and and kind of like I don't want to say self help, but the kind of things that's kind of like the world has wisdom about how to do things, and there's there's good value in saying, hey, here's how to kind of organize your life or go about leadership and those sorts of things. A lot of value in those things, and I and I hear a lot of people in our church who have roles in leadership. They grab those things too, um, and. And I, I feel like it's worth asking the question sometimes, saying, when when do the values that are c- communicated in those, where, where are the ones that sort of deviate from the picture of leadership and the picture of the way God wants those things to go about, um, to, to really sift through that? Because sometimes you say, oh, that sounds really plausible. That sounds really good. That'd probably be effective. And instead of saying, but is that really the kind of leader that we want? And is it the kind of leader that Jesus was? Like, is, is he the sort of person? Because he did, like when people were like, yeah, you're going to be this king. He would undermine that all the time. He's washing people's feet. He's right. riding in on a donkey. He's doing all sorts of things that don't look like the typical leader in his day. And so it, it should make us pause and say, are the solutions the world's offering the same ones that we need? And would it make us the kind of leaders that God really wants in his kingdom, like Jesus? Clayton, remind me, how many books a year on average do you read? <laughs> uh, this year, this year I'm on 153 and... Uh, so, or that, that, that was, that was uh, 2000, uh, near, uh, 2021. All right, 2021, about a hundred, let's just round it to 150. Yeah. How many of those books were leadership books? Uh, I would say some sort of organizational or leadership thing, probably between a dozen and 20. Okay, so you read wow. a hundred, let's say, so if you read 150 <laughs> total books and 20 of them were leadership books, I have a suggestion for you for your own application. Next year, just read 130 books. And don't read any leadership books <laughs> because you're right. They're terrible. Follow If you want to be a great leader, just follow Jesus. Be right. like, this is going to, I feel like Nikki needs to be in the room right now with her WWJD bracelet. <laughs> Best leadership ever. Servant leadership. So I'm sure you've read that, the leadership lessons of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In a day, two hours, three it, hours. It, I read fast. I read fast. <laughs> I don't think he reads them all, Ben. I, I think we need to like set up a camera in whatever room he reads in and find out what's really happening. It's 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 it, a lot of them are audiobooks and they're sped up. <laughs> oh, he doesn't read 150 books. I've got a lot of books. I have sit not in, read them sit all though. In a chair and and just and just do that. So that's the I'm secret. I'm a dad. I'd fall asleep. No, it's when you're it's when you're treadmill. exercising, driving. Gotcha. You know, working on something. Okay, you seem a little bit more normal now to me. So. <laughs> Because you consume about 150 books worth is, of information. This is true. Okay. okay. And, and if you, I think if you ask most people these days, if they're reading, it's a lot of audio. So I don't, okay. I don't feel too bad about that. I don't listen to, I can't listen to audiobooks. Really? My brain will not listen for more than like I love three audiobooks. minutes. I can't do it. If it I put an audiobook who, in the car or at my house, I can't do it. Wow. I have to be reading it to, for it to 
for me to pay attention and it to actually hit my brain. Wow. Yeah, it depends on who it is. Like, if it's the actual author reading the book, then I can do that. But some of these, you know, third party readings, it's just kind of creepy. So. I, I I do my Bible reading uh, w- with audio most of the time. You know what just happened without Nikki here to be the host? It, it we just, just we, we just, just spent like three minutes talking about something not about yeah, this. We just Wrap slid back up, into Eric. pre-episode banter. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that's all we have for you today. Thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for another episode in the book of First Samuel. In the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading along. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, everyone. Just one more thing that we forgot to mention. This Thursday, January 13th, we are having a Bible-savvy workshop on the book of Samuel. So we're starting this book. We're going to be in First and Second Samuel for a little while here. It is so rich, so good. It is well worth the time to figure out kind of how this book works, where it fits in the Bible, what the cultural context is, how to read it. Um, we have so much fun when we do these. Uh, it's going to be in person on January 13th, uh, or you can register and view it online and participate that way. Uh, it's going to be worth it, and I look forward to seeing you there.